Could we just pray? Father, we lift up America to you, God, and we, we pray that you would pour your spirit out on this nation over this next week, God. We pray that you would move in the, what are called the battleground states, God, that people wouldn't give up on Pennsylvania assuming the corruption is greater than the godliness of your people. We pray that you would activate people. We pray people who need rides, to the polls would go there. We pray nobody would forget when Tuesday comes. God, we pray that we would vote to see our children saved, to see Pennsylvania to become a pro-life state. Father, we pray for this. We pray for all the goodness. We pray that the natural wealth that's under this soil would be released, God, that this great gift given in Pennsylvania by, of natural resources would be released. We pray that small businesses would be blessed, that regulation would go down. Father, we pray that families would be strengthened by everything that happens over the next decade in Pennsylvania and in every other state, God. We lift up this election. We pray that corruption and cheating would be eliminated, would be minimized, would be ineffective, that the the wheels would come off of Pharaoh's chariots in Jesus' name, amen. And Father, we just pray you would open our hearts and minds to the word of God today and that we would be good ambassadors of Christ, amen, amen. So, um, I mean, I, most, of, most of the recent years, usually the Sunday before an election, I, I'll go through kind of platform issues, but we've done so much of that and prayed and it's like, I feel like, we're saturated with a consciousness of this sufficiently. And I, I just, I, I have this desire to finish what I started in, the, in Paul's letter to the Romans. And so, uh, you know, it's been a, a great journey, but I wanna cover a large chunk today, Romans chapter 14, the whole chapter, and as much of chapter 15 as we can, and because it's a really clear issue that all of this is wisdom literature. It's to help us navigate in this fallen world that we can walk in love, we can walk in love with each other, we can walk in love outside. How, have you ever been with a group of Christians that were mad at each other and all of their, their thoughts were, they were just like fussing with each other? And you know, I mean, it happens in churches. Some people, it's amazing how many people I meet that said, oh, I was so beat up and hurt and stuff, and now I'm finally getting healed and my life's getting free. But I mean, this should never be, but it is, you know? And, and then likewise, then we take it out into the world and we just, we just say, we, we want you to know how much God loves you, how unconditionally he loves you, how much he wants to change you and transform your life, how much, like, you don't wanna end up in the lake of fire, you wanna end up in, in what you were created for, in the presence of God. And, uh, and so we carry it out, but we want it, so we live it every day, inside and outside. Would you say that's true? The amazing thing is when we walk in love, we are living in a supernatural zone. First uh, John 4, this isn't in my notes, so sorry all the projection people. First John 4, 16, it's like a life verse for me. And so we know and we believe the love God has for us. And that makes all the difference, that we know his love, that we become intimately acquainted with it. A lot of us feel it, and a lot of us have experienced it at the moment of conversion, but that every day would be 
we, we go back to that place and it gets deeper and better and more profound. And then we, we believe it, that it's for us personally. It's, just, it's not for, just for other people, it's not a theory. It is something that is so true that everything we do, we operate out of that. We're rooted and grounded in it. Our faith works by love. And so once that love is real to us, we trust it so much it becomes our own. What would you do if you knew that you could not get away from the love of God? You know, you would just be like, oh, I just, I'm, I'm so tired of the love of God. That is a word you'll never say. You know, you'll, it's like if you're experiencing it, you can't get tired of it. So Holy Spirit, just release the love of God. Open our hearts and minds that everything we hear and everything we read, we would hear and read as an exposition on the love of God, that it would become more real to us. Jesus, you're the living word. We pray you'd speak to us today in Jesus' name. <laughs> Jesus in Jesus' name. That's a little redundant. Okay, so real quick. Romans is, it, you know, it's Paul's greatest letter and it, it's all about the gospel of God, which was found in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, what he did for us, freeing us. So the first 11 chapters are all about salvation. It's a theology of salvation. Three hits a high point at the end of chapter eight. So many high points. But then Romans 9, 10, and 11 specifically deal with, well, what about the promises God made for Israel? And they're all part of his great salvation plan, which will fill all the world with his glory. Then we get into Romans 12, verses one and two. It's, it's the gospel in a nutshell. In light of the mercies of God, we present ourselves to him as living sacrifices. Our mind is renewed. Our mind is renewed, and as it is, we're transformed. Everything in our life is changed from B.C. to A.D. You know, it becomes like we've, we've come out of death into life, darkness into light. And then we, so the rest of it is all, it's kind of like wisdom literature. Like, how do we stay in love? This is how to navigate, how to prosper in your soul, we can say. And so Romans, uh, these, these, this portion we're going to look at today deals with differences have you ever been around Christians that have completely different emphases and things that they think are important? And some things you don't think are important, they think are important. Some things they think are really important, you're like, really? I mean, I wouldn't, <laughs> when I, because I didn't grow up in church, there were a lot of church things I didn't know. And so I, I ran into things that people thought were important. The first pastor I ever worked for when I was just a young, I was an intern at this uh, Church, First Assembly of God in Los Gatos, California. And, and you'd think like, wow, that's a rootsy address. But this was a Midwestern congregation. And, uh, and he was a great man of God who had just come there. And so we were there at the same time. He made a big impact on me. And, and he loved me. You know, I touched his heart too. His name was Victor Trimmer. But one of his convictions, which I, I actually don't think is true, <laughs> and you'll know but he thought drums were of the devil, like drums. Like he was for everything. I mean, he, he left Los Gatos, went to Grants Pass, Oregon, and for eight years there was a, a revival that changed the whole town of Grants Pass, Oregon. He, and this guy in 10 minutes could say more than I can say in two hours. He just was a man of God. But 
he was dead set against drums in the church. And it was because of his experience as a missionary in Thailand that he would go into these Buddhist temples and there would be these big drums going and he could feel the demonic presence that was attached to the drums. Because it, I mean, but the reality is musical instruments are neutral. They are, they are mechanisms to express prayers and thoughts and feelings, and, it, and it's very powerful. So he mistook what he was saying, the drums were calling the demons in the big Buddhist temple in Thailand, and so he just said, we'll never have drums in church. You could have guitars, you could have trumpets, you could have, this was, they had like southern gospel music there, and, and it was a, a big culture shock for me. Um, and, but it was like, and it's like, so how many know God uses drums? And actually, drums are in the Bible. You know, I mean, it's commanded that we make a joyful notice. Let so just so we're going to get into this. There's differences and there's categories involved here that kind of help us. Like, so we're not going to go through all the rules, you know, because rules are rigid and are not alive. And what what we're after are the principles and the guiding lights that keep us in love. So. The differences that Paul was addressing, because there were conflicts that he had heard about in the church at Rome, and the amazing thing is they're universal, and they're not limited to, well, that was just in the, you know, AD 50s in Rome, but it's like, no, it's in America in the 2020s. Okay, so Romans 14.1, there's a difference, and he has these categories, he calls them strong, weak and strong. As for the one, Romans 14, 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, the instruction is, and obviously he's writing this to the ones who are not weak in faith, welcome, welcome him, celebrate him, accept him. And later he'll say that we're to welcome each other as Christ welcomed us. <laughs> I mean, so this is, so, because sometimes we get put off by people. Oh my goodness, you know. I, I remember we had a conference here with Kevin, Kevin Frosch was leading worship and he had these little animals on his keyboard that had been given to him on mission trips and they're all up there, but you know, with the lights and everything, they're silhouetted. And some of them were little cows sitting on the thing. There was a lovely lady here, very, you know, very holy lady, very deep convictions. And, and I liked her a lot. I can't remember her name, but it was probably good in case I wouldn't slander her. But I remember she came up to me, she said, you need to stop this, this is devil worship. And I thought like, it is? You know? and, and I mean, you know, Kevin Brosh had his, was a very creative thinker, but, but I thought, why would she tell me that? And anyway, she left the church over a conviction, but in reality, she was weak in faith, even though she was really a holy lady, but her faith was weak, and she saw an appearance of something and assumed it was something else. Have you ever done that? Like we attach significance to things that God just gives us liberty on. So the, uh, so the one who is weak in faith, welcome him not to quarrel over opinions. Don't quarrel, okay? One person believes he may eat anything. The other weak person, he, the weak person only eats only vegetables. Sorry, I'm trying to slow my brain down to the speed of my mouth. Okay, so... <laughs> And then he talks about the strong at the beginning of chapter 15, we who are strong, and notice he, he includes himself when we who are strong, 
have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak or the weakness of the weak. So in other words, if you have strong faith, you're indebted to help people whose faith might seem weak to you. And Paul, in fact, is saying it is weak because there's a tendency to rely on legalism rather than to explore the full, you know, the full possibilities of, of faith. And so, um, and I'm not recommending excess you know, or anything bad there, but, and not to please ourselves. So, uh, but actually, the weak and strong were pretty much, the, se- the second thing that he uses here, the Jewish background believers struggled with the liberty and faith of the Gentile believers. And, uh, and so he talks about this further on, like toward the end of, not toward the end, end of what we'll cover here in Romans 15, beginning with verse eight, he said, he's, and he's speaking here specifically to Jewish believers. I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's fa- truth in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as is written. Because what was happening was the convictions of the Jewish background believers, they had strong convictions about diet and about days. You know, and so to them, you know, it was like if you were eating a bacon sandwich at church, they were like, you heathen. I do not even want to be in your presence, you know. And so, so these were specific issues that they were quarreling over. And so he calls it eating meat. And a lot of the Jewish background believers, because they're in Rome and a lot of the meat had been dedicated at temples, like the meat you would buy at the butcher store had been presented as an offering at the temple. And then the temple guys sold the meat to the butcher. And that's, that's how everybody made money. And so because of that, I, I'm making this overly simple, but because of that, the, the Jewish background believers and, and some Christians would not eat meat because it's been dedicated. That's like not listening to the drums because they were in the wrong place. But when they're in the right place, do you know what Paul wrote? He said, whatever we sanctify our food by thanksgiving. So we can take something that's been dedicated to evil and thank God for it. So I which I'm not telling you to go and be a drug dealer and then just thank God for all the money he made. But I mean, we we know that's not God because that leads to death, okay? So, but, and and it's the same with days. Uh, So these are our convictions. They're minors, they're cultural differences. When I was a Christian, because we didn't grow up in a Christian family, we didn't know that, that Uno cards and whisk cards were okay, but that, that poker and, and you know, gin rummy and stuff weren't. And I can understand why they were attached to gambling. You know, we were kids, we didn't have much to lose, so we just played it. We were happy doing it, but it had to do with dancing. You know, some, some Christians, I mean, if you never, you know, we should dance before the Lord. So um, anyway, but you know, they may say, well, I, that kind of dancing's okay, ballroom dancing's not okay, or break dancing's not okay. But the amazing thing is God uses all this stuff. Sports, like the, this same guy, Victor Trimmer, when he, was, when he met the Lord in 1936, his mom 
uh, went to a revival meeting in, in northwestern Washington. His dad was a, a logger and an abusive alcoholic husband who would beat her. She went to a revival meeting, gave her life to Jesus, changed everything. The next meeting, her son, who was a star football player, went with her, gave his life to Jesus, and immediately he quit the football team because at that time they had this view that sports were worldly. And so I just, you know, and I, I have these convictions in myself. There's things that I, you know, some of you have liberty for it and I don't have liberty for it. And that's like, okay, you know, I'm just gonna love and figure I'm weak in faith in this area. But I, for a while, I, you know, because of our background in Eastern religions, like I was really rough on yoga and stuff and, I, and just my, I, a true confession, my, my daughters both and a lot of my grandchildren say do some form of Hatha yoga. And so I, to me, it's like I'm not gonna do that because of what I associate it with because for me, it was a religion. But, and then some people are against martial arts because they have roots in, in these religions, you know, and, and stuff. And yet, I just see God blessing people and using people and giving them like you can own it, you know, because it's like Jesus... There's not one square inch of this earth over which Jesus does not cry out, it's mine. This is a, a, a butchering of some quote from Abraham Kuyper, who was the Dutch prime minister at the turn of the 20th century. Anyway, and a great Christian thinker. But, and so, so, but I struggled with that. And so now, when, you know, I guess both my grandsons have uh, lots of belts in, in Taekwondo and my uh, one is a, a second degree black belt. But so here's something that was good for me. I just want to show you, like you could use sports and you might not think, oh, you know, you might think, oh, really? So here's a, a, a little clip of a UFC champion, which means, anyway, it's mixed martial arts, MMA. Here we go. These guys kick each other, you know. For the winner, by you Mr. Sergeant Bundy! Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with Benil Darius. Benil, once again, man, you always step up to fight. It does not matter who. How good does it feel to get a victory over a young, up-and-coming fighter like Mateos Gamrod? Uh, I'm sorry, Daniel, but I gotta take a minute. I need to dedicate this fight. My people in Iran, I know you're struggling. I know you're fighting for freedom. I know it's a tough struggle. I want you guys to know we're praying for you and we love you. Let me tell you one more thing. This might be the most important thing you'll ever hear. There is true freedom, a freedom that no one can take from you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Don't ever forget that. If you remember one thing I say, remember that. Amen. So I'm pretty thankful for this Iranian mixed martial arts guy who can give the glory to God and speak to his nation. You know that. So I just say, go for it, go for it. Uh, this is liberty. You know, one person believes he may eat anything, while the other, per the weak person, eats only vegetables. And if you're a vegan, that's not a slam on you. It's just if we're legalistic about it, you know. So, and we think it's, it somehow gives us virtue. It might make you healthy. I, I'll leave that up to you. And others observe days, and others fight over days. And, and, but he says, the one who observes the day 
observes it in honor of the Lord, the one who eats in honor of the Lord, and then also the one who abstains. And so what we, the main thing is that we live unto the Lord. We live to honor the Lord, and, and there's all kinds of, <laughs> we want to major on the majors and minor on the minors. You know, we want to, ma- major is love and the kingdom of God. All hail King Jesus. You know, this is glory to God in the highest. And, uh, but, you know, people really fight over days. So you'll meet people that they keep the Sabbath, you know, and, and they're sure that we should all be celebrating on Sunday. I mean, this, this was also a huge issue, not even that, but with like what day to celebrate the resurrection of Christ because the 14th of Nisan is, a, is the time of the Passover and it could fall on any day of the week. And so in the early church, it was, it was confused. There were a, a whole group of Christians generally in what's now uh, North, uh, the Asian part of Turkey, Anatolia, and they, they followed the, the moon, the, the Nisan, 14th of Nisan, to celebrate Easter. The, the Bishop of Rome, who at that, this is second century, wasn't a pope or anything like that, but the Bishop of Rome was so offended at that that he was going to excommunicate the bishops of that area. And finally, a, a, a man of God named Irenaeus wrote him a letter and calmed him down, you know, so the church didn't divide over that. But we can divide over all kinds of things. Certainly, at the resurrection, you know, Christ changed time, and so did the Passover. You know, God, I mean, Exodus 12, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, you'll count this as the first month. It's like a new beginning. And so, you know, the death and resurrection of Christ is a new beginning to us, and we follow that Passover pattern in, in baptism and, and the whole, and Christ is our Passover, but the church at large ended up celebrating it on Sunday, the first day of the week. And not only, it didn't, you know, it's not just a new year, but it's a new era. We went from BC to AD because of everything that Christ did. So, so you know, the temptations we have with these differences of opinion is that we'll quarrel over the opinions. We'll, we'll fuss about stuff. We won't like people because of it. And when we do that, we're actually stepping out of love. We're stepping out of the glorious redemption that Christ has made one new man out of us all that we're one loaf and we get all offended with each other or just slightly offended with each other. And, and, and the, the other temptation is to despise those who have scruples that are stronger than us. And scruples, we often use it in a negative sense of like their doubts and hesitations, but being scrupulous means being diligent and being thorough and being fully convinced. And so we never want to attack the convictions of people who are different than us. We can question them, but basically Paul will say here later, keep it to yourself. And so, and then the other temptation is to judge. You know, it, it, it says the strong, their temptation is to despise those who have more scruples than we do. And the temptation of the ones who are more sure that all these things you're not supposed to do, they're, they're tempted to judge them like, well, they're wrong. Do you know, when Ann and I came to the Lord, we, we had been, uh, you know, lived in the counterculture. We grew up, you know, we were baby boomers. Anne grew up in San Francisco. I went to UC Berkeley. We were like 
we were quintessential Northern California flower children at the time that we met Jesus. We were following all kinds of Eastern religions and philosophies, and we were trying to save ourselves by drinking pure water and eating, eating pure food. So when we first came to the church, you know, we were like in shock that people drank coffee and ate donuts. We're like, don't they know how bad that is? It's bad for, you know, it's like, like, you know, we had been set free from karma, but we hadn't been set free from our kind of legalistic thinking. And it's not, I mean, it would, maybe we had more dietary insight than some of those, but it's like we could not get stumbled by that. And so um, later, you know, we, when we, you know, we, we dove all in. You know, we like just, we were at church all the time. We were in meetings all the time. And, and we really wanted to, because we got slammed by the presence of God we experienced in worship. I mean, just, it opened our hearts, opened the doors. We, we changed me from not worshiping Jesus to worshiping Jesus, and God was very kind. And we had, a, we had a sense experience that oil was poured over our heads the first time we praised the, you know, worship, gave worship to Jesus. It was a big deal. And the, the Holy Spirit brought you know, blessed us with a manifestation of his presence. It marked us. So we're all in, you know, and so somebody, in, but we don't know the Christian lingo. So someone invites us, you know, our new friends, Christian friends say, hey, you know, a bunch of us are gonna have fellowship this afternoon over at somebody's house and do you wanna come? And we thought like, yeah, okay. I didn't know what fellowship meant. You know, so we're like, I wonder what this is. You know, we're driving over in our purple Volkswagen bus, wondering like, what kind of experience are we gonna have? And we get there and there's these guys and they're watching a baseball game. And uh, it was summer and the the, um, San Francisco Giants were playing somebody. And so we're watching the baseball game and then then they had food and they had hot dogs and Pepsi. (laughs) And, And we're like, ah. Because at that point, we didn't eat meat. You know, it wasn't because we were thinking it was bad to kill animals. We just didn't eat meat because we didn't think it was good for us. We thought it had not the right energy. I mean, because we were, you know, our mind hadn't been totally renewed. And so there, and, and we certainly wouldn't drink Pepsi, you know. So I remember we said, do you guys have any apples or oranges or something? So, so they're eating potato chips and hot dogs and root, you know, watching the ball game and we're having apples. And, but so after a while, people would invite us and they always would have you know, lasagna. There would always be meat and everything. So we thought, man, it gets awkward saying, oh, sorry, we don't eat that. And it was before. Now we could say, oh yeah, we're dairy-free, gluten-free, and everybody would go, oh, okay. But in those days, it's like, what? You know? Aren't, aren't you an American, you know? So, so, so we prayed, and this is a, a hilarious thing. We prayed one day, we're in our little nine foot by 21 foot caretaker's cottage, and we're praying, God, show us, we don't wanna, you know, we don't wanna be outside of your will. Show us if we should eat meat or not. So we pray this prayer, and exactly 20 minutes later, or like approximately 20 minutes later, the phone rings, and we answer it, and it's this, brother, probably one of the brothers that was there with with the hot dogs and things named Tim, and he and this other brother named Steve rented a house on a ranch, and they thought, hey, this would be a great ministry. They bought a hundred pullets, which are small female chickens for those who don't know, and they were, they were feeding them because they had a vision that they were going to have all these eggs to give away to minister to people. 
So it was a vehicle, like we're gonna have all these eggs and we're just gonna drive around and say, oh, the Lord told us to bless you today. And, and it would open up evangelism and, and just encouragement to people. And so, that, so Tim calls and he says, hey, you know those 100 pullets we bought? Yeah, well, it turns out 12 of them are roosters. So we were, which technically were cockerels, but the, uh, anyway, the, the, they said we were praying, God, what should we do with these with these uh, roosters, they're not gonna lay eggs. And, and he said, the Lord told us to call Charlie and Ann. You know, this is, and so they called us. It was 20 minutes after we prayed. So God show us, and he says, so we wanna give you these, these uh, chickens or roosters, do you want them? And I said, yeah, because we had just prayed. So I said, well, how should I get them? He says, oh, you don't have to come get them. We're go- we'll be at the meeting tonight. You'll be at the meeting because we went to meetings every night. So that night we are having a Billy Graham training meeting and we were there. And uh, so I go in and I'm thinking maybe he's got an ice chest or something with him. And because and, I'm thinking like Purdue chicken, you know, like all. And, and I say, Tim, where, where, where are the, where's the chickens? He said, oh, it, it's out in the car. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. And uh, so after the meeting, we go to the car and he opens up the trunk and there's three gunny sacks and he picks them up and, you know, at night chickens don't do much, you know, so, so they're, but they're live little roosters in there. So, so we take them home and the next day we go to my parents' house and, and, and there was a mountain behind their house and at, at the top of their backyard was a stump and which we used for cutting, you know, for all kinds of different things, but... And my grandfather was a rancher, so I'd been, you know, I'd been at, at Thanksgiving when he cut the head off the turkey and all that stuff. So we go there, but Ann grew up in San Francisco, and it wasn't like not too many people were chopping the heads off chicken there. So we're there, I have a double-bladed ax, and I lay this first rooster on the stump, and I'm uphill, and Ann and my parents' dog, which was a dachshund, are down by the house. They're just watching, you know, and I'm up there like, okay, and I cut his head off, above the vocal cords, and then I also let go, you know, cause, cause, because it was above the vocal cords, it went, ah, and I went like this. And so pretty soon, now this thing is bouncing with, it's spasming, but with each spasm, it goes, ah, and a big gush of red blood comes out, and it's coming down the hill, and the dog is totally freaking out, and Ann starts screaming, and it's like, whoa, this is wild, you know, anyway. It, it, was a, it was a good male experience, you know, like, all right. So the next, next one I got and I made sure, okay, fine, okay, here's the vocal cord. Not an Adam's apple, but you can still feel it. Okay, and I whacked it below the vocal cord and I held on. And it's jerking all around and stuff. And so I did this 12 times and pretty soon I made a, I, I got really good at it. I'd chop them, I'd hang them up on the clothesline so all the blood would drain out. And then we dipped them in hot water and plucked them and singed them and trussed them and the whole thing. And, and so then we had all this chicken and my parents had a freezer, so, so we, we cut it up and froze them. And we would invite people over, hey, we're gonna have rooster cacciatore, you know? <laughs> and so we would, but here's the thing, there were 12 of them and I think about two of them were tender and the rest were like rubber, you know? So we were like, anyway. Welcome to the third world. Okay, but so, so how do we, oh great. How do we navigate all this? I mean, here's the deal. We wanna stay in love and I, I'm 
I, don't, I know the babies don't know that the time changed. They're just wondering why they're here so long. But um, in this passage, there are some really significant questions and statements that are asked. The first question, these are just questions like when I find myself at odds, even if you're in high school or if you're you know, awesome and educated and mature and everything, you find yourself in situations where you differ with other people. And sometimes they're like fairly major differences. And the temptation is that those will pull you out of love and unity. And I, I just wanna pray God would expand our love, not that he, he doesn't obliterate our brain, he makes our heart bigger and gives us wisdom how to navigate those interests because we are meant to be ambassadors of Christ, not just in the world, but among each other. And do you understand, Jesus prayed that we would be one. And the miracle is that we would be one with different opinions on things that are important to us. Like not, not the essentials, like you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the, you know, not the essentials of God became a man, all the, you know, the Bible is the word of God, we'll be, but here's some good questions. Okay, from the first five verses, I'm just gonna give you the questions. Am I fully convinced of my thing? And in the moment, that's not something we can actually deal with. But when we go away, in the moment, we just say, I'm just gonna listen, I'm gonna ask questions, (laughs) I'm gonna have a teachable spirit. Um, But am I fully convinced? We go away, here's what Paul wrote in uh, Romans 14:5. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while the another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And in fact, our instructions are that we welcome those who have different opinions. It's amazing that we don't judge them, and that so it's a good thing. Like God, am I fully convinced of this? Like, is this really important to me? It, because otherwise we get stuck at a level. I listen, uh, you know, a guy that when I was a new Christian, he was like an elder in this ministry. Name was Ron Junkel. And, uh, and uh, brilliant, prophetic guy. And he, now he's well into his 80s. I just recently saw a video of him speaking and he's like trashing any church except a house church. Because that's his world. And I just thought... He probably must have had some really bad experiences. And he's really graced in that house church. But it, it's like, like there, some churches are called to be house churches. Some churches are called to be local churches with a couple hundred people and everybody knows them. Some churches are called to become bigger, like an apost- you could call it an apostolic hub. You could call it a mega church, whatever you want, where they're equipping and sending people all over. And it's like, God, help us not to get stuck in our opinions. Second question, am I doing it unto the Lord? Verse six, the one who observes the day, the one who eats, the one who abstains, they do it in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, none of us dies to himself. This is important, like, am I doing this unto the Lord? Or did I get, because as soon as I get out of his love, I'm doing it for Charles. Well, this is what I think. <laughs> and sometimes, it's not pretty, okay? But if I'm doing it unto the Lord, then there's a whole set of 
glory and honor on it. Here's the third question, which is something we should go into this in more depth another time. Will it stand the test of judgment, the judgment? You know, Paul writes, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This isn't the great white throne judgment. This is the judgment seat of Christ where we're rewarded for the things that are significant, lasting, done well, and the rest, it just gets burned up with fire. Maybe it's just the fire of his love, you know, it's not, but it's, but Paul talked about it, he says, some, you know, we've got hay, wood, and stubble, that's gonna make a lot of ashes, but then we've got stuff that endures, and so sometimes it's not even what we do, but why we do it. God set us free. Do you follow this? Like, like, and I mean, and we live our lives knowing that we'll give account, we will give account for what we've done and what we've said. Do we believe Jesus when he said, there's no idle word for which you will not give account? You know, and I'm thinking like, I hope this is really fast and that the, the, the glory of his presence is like an anesthetic. And I, you know, we just cry and say, thank you God for setting me free, you know, that you loved me anyway. And uh, so, and I don't wanna make light of that, but here's the fourth question that really keeps us in love. Am I causing others to stumble? And so this we get into convictions over like diet, over practices, over what day of the week, over big church, small church, micro church. And then, but, and, and he specifically, because they were involved in dietary issues, um, he warns them, uh, chapter 14, verse 13 says, never put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Sometimes our liberty can be a stumbling block to someone else. And so if we're aware of that, we're thoughtful. And we're not like, well, you know, I'd really like to have a, uh, you know, a double whiskey, but I know it would offend you because you're legalistic and, and uh, think that sin, so I won't do it. Like, no, now you're just like the biggest sinner on earth with that attitude. And I'm just picking something that is like, okay, that's, that's, and other people, it's like, you know, just don't be drunk, but glorify God. But in all our actions that we don't stumble people. So I'm not gonna comment on that because I think these are, are things that the Lord speaks to you. They're, the scripture forbids drunkenness, you know? And uh, on top of that, you know, alcohol's not good for your brain, just saying, that anyway. So whatever we do, we do in moderation. And here's the issue. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it's like, God, help us to major on the majors and minor on the minors and pursue what makes for peace. This is verse 19. Pursue what makes for peace and for building each other up, right? Because we don't want to tear down what God is building with some stupid opinion that 20 years from now we might look back and say, I can't believe I ever did that or said that. Have any of you changed any of your opinions? I hope so, because that's part of sanctification. You know, we're transformed by the renewal of our mind. And so the fifth question is, is it from faith? Am I acting from faith? Whatever is not of faith is sin. This is verse 20. Three, you know, you're, and actually verse 22 says, the faith you have, keep it between yourself and God. 
So I'm not trying to impose my convictions on other people. Blessed is the one who has no reason to, to condemn himself for what he approves. Okay, last question. Am I, being, am I being selfish, pleasing myself, or am I serving others? And that, you know, and so this gets into chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the weakness of the weak. It's a debt we owe. It's called the debt of love. And it's really simple if we think, you know, I could be wrong about this, so I just wanna honor this person's opinion. And uh, let, verse two says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Okay, that's enough. I hope I didn't beat you up, but I, I just wanna give you, I, and I'm not trying to establish my opinions on you, I'm trying to get you to seek the Lord on things that might, maybe some people approve of and some people don't, and just say, God, I wanna live my life for your glory. I don't want any weights on me that are gonna stop me from running or cause pain in my family or generational issues, or I just wanna live free. <laughs> Amen? Stand up. So, uh, and there's a beautiful prayer here that Paul prays in 15, beginning with verse five. May the God of endurance and encouragement, God of endurance, God of patience and comfort, it says in King James, God of endurance that you're gonna last every storm and encouragement that in the middle when you're, when you're feeling so discouraged, he's gonna come along like a good coach and tell you, you can get back in that game and you can play and you are going to score. And this is, this is may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, verse six, that together, which is the one accord word, with one heart, with one mind, you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that a powerful prayer? That God would grant us harmony, such harmony with one another, that we would have one heart, one passion, one mind, and one voice and together we would be glorifying God. You know, all hail King Jesus, glory to God forever. Do you understand that? So I just, I want you to lift up your hands and then lay them on your heart, wherever that is, or on your head, wherever your, your biggest issue is. Is it your heart or your head? And maybe it's your stomach, I don't know. But Holy Spirit, we ask you to come. We ask you to breathe upon us, to fuel us with love, to fuel us with endurance, to fuel us with hope, to cause us to be a people of hope. Cause, keep us out of the weeds. Keep us out of snares and traps and hindrances that would ruin our life or ruin the lives of others and keep us living for you with a pure love, with a first love. God, that, there would, that truly it would be said of us that love did no harm to its neighbor. God, I pray that your love would be on us, would be an evangelistic love, that our love would be continually fueled by gratitude for what Jesus has done for us, that somehow that would be occupying our mind and it would come out of our mouths. God, that we wouldn't get, we wouldn't become empty, sterile philosophers, but we would be passionate, empowered lovers of you and of mankind. When the goodness and love of God appeared, everything changed. So Holy Spirit, fill us. 
Just fill us right now with the love of God. Pour it out in our hearts. Fill us, fuel us with it, that we would live in joy, we would live in hope. God, that we would be ambassadors to Christ. We would carry your peace wherever we go. That in, you, in our presence, your presence would be manifested. Keep us free from opinions. Give, give us godly convictions in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. So, Jesus be glorified in your life. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. I see all you young people. Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> I mean, I just see you and I think like, what's your next 50 years going to be like? You know, when I was 21, I could never imagine being 72 and here I am. Oh, <laughs> Now I'm trying to imagine being 120, you know, but I don't know if I can get there. But the rest of you, you know, if you're, if you're old and gray like me, or you've, you've, you think your best years are not over, how about the spirit of Caleb and the spirit of Joshua? The spirit of Caleb at 80, he would say, give me that mountain. Amen. God bless you. The Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you. Know that he's waiting for you to pray. His face is turned toward you, and he gives you his shalom. In his name, amen. God bless you. And there's a ministry team here to pray for healing, breakthrough, etc. And the rest of you have a great day. Amen.